Marilyn told her she was going to marry Bobby Kennedy. JFK. That's what was wrong. She had just been jilted by the President of the United States. Do you really think that after all that she'd been through with movie making, she was going to try to kill herself because a director hadn't shown up for a day's work at the studio? It was Kennedy. That's why. Kennedy. Norma Jean wanted nothing more than to kill Marilyn Monroe. Trigger warning. Sensitive topics including drug abuse, self-harm, suicide, and hospitalization. Welcome to Blood and Business. I'm Bethany. And I'm Cassie. Today we're telling a story of siblings born and bred to run the world. They were the most infamous family of the 20th century. Their story drips with conspiracy. Their names whispered through the decades since they left their voices echoing in time and space. Their hands helped mold the America we know, sharing with their country dreams of landing on the moon, freedom for every man. And by example, they inspired generations to reach the highest heights. They played with fire, and only a few survived. Their words ring through our history books, their pretty faces on our television screens, and their signature will forever be stamped on our national identity. They stood in the trenches. We stood beside them. They flashed their diamonds. We flashed our cameras. They had their fun, and we saluted them. They were good. They were evil. They were human. They are the Kennedy siblings. The stories of Bobby sharing women with his brother make for compelling reading. They are also fabrications. Bobby was also a moralist who worked hard to both slow his brother's womanizing and keep it from becoming common knowledge. New research fills in the gaps, clears away all the smudgy bits and the smoke. It brings reality into focus. It lines up with who each person was. These personalities that we've all spent no less than a year getting to know together. You'll be able to see exactly where each rumor came from and why the story has been this convoluted for all these years. I think he told her, look, don't call the White House. Call me. Andy Williams, the entertainer and one of RFK's best friends. While Marilyn was with Jack in Palm Springs, Jackie was in India with Lee. And do you remember what else we know from that night? Mimi did not stay with the president that night and was glad not to see him. And if you missed that story, brace yourself and go back and listen to KFM 17, part one and two. Philip Watson, LA County Assessor, met Miss Monroe that weekend. The weekend at Bing Crosby's. Did we ever realize how much of a freaking 
pivotal moment that weekend was going to be. He reports that, quote, Marilyn was there, and the president was there, and they were obviously together. There was no question in my mind that they were having a good time. She obviously had a lot to drink. It was obvious they were intimate, that they were staying there together for the night. While Marilyn was there that weekend, she also phoned a friend, Ralph Roberts, and asked for advice. She said she was with a friend who was having back pain. (laughs) (laughs) She called Roberts because apparently they had previously discussed certain muscle groups. I don't know if this guy was a medical professional or what he was, but she thought that the same muscles that they had discussed previously were the same muscles troubling her friend. And also, she wanted to ask about the soulless muscle because she had read about it in a book called The Thinking Body. She put her friend on the phone, and suddenly, Roberts was talking to someone that sounded exactly like the president. (laughs) I love that this guy recognizes Jack's voice, and then everyone in Mimi's story had no idea who was calling. Michael Cotta. (laughs) Who could that be? (laughs) Later, Marilyn confirmed that, yes, the friend was John F. Kennedy. Quote, That was really the end of it. She told me very specifically that they were together that one weekend and that it was the only time. It wasn't until many years later that I had begun to hear rumor of the contrary, but I just didn't believe them because she was so specific in what she said back then when it happened. Several Secret Service agents and other credible sources back up what Roberts claims. It was one weekend, and one weekend alone, that was shared between JFK and Marilyn Monroe. Quote, If there had been an affair, I would have known about it. There was no affair. Sorry, there just wasn't. It was one weekend, and that's it. Credited to an anonymous Secret Service agent. Another agent added, quote, At the time, 1962, we all knew about the weekend. It wasn't until she and the president were dead that people started talking about an affair. Trust me, no one was saying anything about an affair in 1962. What we knew was that JFK and Marilyn had sex at Bing Crosby's. And that's it. We didn't think it was a big deal. He had sex with a lot of women. At the time, looking back on it now, she was just one of many, and it wasn't that noteworthy. If there was more to it between them, they somehow managed to keep it from us. And I don't think you can keep something like that from the Secret Service. Especially if you're Marilyn. Uh And she also is being wiretapped. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Jack's good, but he's not that good. (laughs) He cares, but he doesn't care that much. Contrary to decades of speculative reports of a long, protracted relationship with him, what Marilyn really shared with JFK was either one or two nights of maybe passion. Of course, it's always possible there was more. Obviously, anything is possible. However, there's just no credible evidence to support the existence of a long affair between them. 
anything more to tell about it would be strictly the product of many an overworked imagination. J. Randy Terraborelli. Jack was pretty much done with her after Palm Springs. I think he only saw her one more time, and that was when she came to Washington, unexpectedly. And we, he and I and a few others, including Hubert Humphrey, if you can imagine it, took her sailing on a motorboat down the Potomac River. George Smathers remembered. We got back at 11.30 at night. She didn't stay at the White House. She stayed somewhere else. There was no hanky-panky between her and JFK that night. I know, because I asked the next day. And he would have happily said so. (laughs) But anyway... Jackie knew about that trip. In fact, we were dancing at a White House ball, and she said to me, Don't think I'm naive to what you and Jack are doing with those pretty girls, like Marilyn, sailing on the Potomac under the moonlight. It's all so sophomoric, George. How so, George? (laughs) I love it. Jackie was accustomed to Kennedy's indiscretions, but this one bothered her. She knew from what she had heard and read that Marilyn was a troubled woman. Have some pity on her, she said, according to what he later told me. It wasn't so much that she was angry as it was that she was just disgusted. So Jack told me, it's not worth it, George. I have a free ride here with Jackie. She gives me great latitude. So if this one's going to be an issue for her, then fine. I can live without this one. I can live without Marilyn Monroe. No problem. So, look, let's just end it with Marilyn before it's too late. I was surprised. I knew Jackie had influence, but not that much influence. Not so much that she could cause the end of the president's relationship with a movie star. But, apparently, she did. Jack and I talked about her. About Marilyn. He thought she was beautiful, but maybe not the smartest girl in the world. He liked her sense of humor and her playfulness. Because Jackie was more serious. So it was fun being with a woman who was just not. A lot of freaking things are fun, Jack. I am really surprised, though, on Jackie's part and on Jack's. Like, I wouldn't have thought that Jackie would be defending the mistresses. And then Jack has disregarded her opinion in a lot of areas. And the fact that he is taking that into account so severely and not really even debating it. Just like, if she doesn't want it, let's not. Especially because it wasn't just some random girl. Like, it's Marilyn Monroe. The trouble was, though it was just a fun weekend for Jack, it was a dream of a new life for Marilyn. Quote, Marilyn, well, she wouldn't be so easily rid of. Let's put it that way. After the weekend at Bing Crosby's, Marilyn started imagining herself, not in the empty, cold, and painful life she currently had, but in a life of proximity. She didn't need more fame. She needed people who were going to stick around. She still needed what she had always needed, a family. Being the first lady, well, that sounded so much better than being the solo starlet or even the attorney general's lady. Both sounded important and much less lonely. Marilyn had never shown up unannounced at Pat and Peter's. But in April of 1962, just a couple weeks after her weekend with Jack, 
There she stood on the front porch. Quote. She was cheery and upbeat, wearing an orange silk blouse and black slacks and a matching black scarf with cat eye sunglasses. I thought she looked absolutely marvelous. Remembered a friend who was also at the Lawfords that day. Pat had already been interrogated by Bobby regarding Marilyn. Had Pat seen her? What had she been talking about? Did she mention Jack? So Pat knew something was up. Bobby told his sister that Marilyn had been calling the public number to the White House. It's moments like this that you become so aware that they're all siblings and not just coworkers or friends. Obviously, Pat knew Marilyn wouldn't be trying to reach the president out of the blue, and she knew her brother. Bobby didn't give her much of an answer as to why Marilyn would be calling Jack. So, quote, She made a few phone calls and it didn't take long for her to find out what had happened in Palm Springs. She wasn't happy about it, I can tell you that. Marilyn came into the kitchen and immediately brought up Jack, admitting that, quote, Pat had been right. Her brother did have a powerful presence. Pat just stared at Marilyn. The rest of the conversation was held privately in another room, just between the two of them. So we don't know what else was exactly said, but we do know, because Pat reported it later herself, that Marilyn asked for Jack's private phone number, and Pat refused to give it to her. Marilyn would back off of the topic, but inevitably, a few minutes later, bring it back up. Pat remembered that she had, quote, never seen Marilyn so hyper and manic. Then, Pat reached her breaking point. Marilyn asked her, if Jack was happily married, Pat suddenly decided that she'd let Jack handle his own mess and wrote down Jack's private number, telling her, quote, Why don't you ask him yourself? Thanks, sis. Pat gives away the president's (laughs) private phone number. She's like, you know what? (laughs) I don't get paid enough for this. Yeah, literally. That's going to be my brother's issue. Not the president of the United States issue, but my brother's issue. (laughs) Then, making clear the intrusion and betrayal that this was to her. Pat told Marilyn, I can get past it. You and I will be able to continue our friendship. My sisters and sister-in-law? I don't know. I just don't know. In the spring of 1962, Bobby was deployed to give Marilyn a message. She was not to call the White House, and the relationship, or whatever she thought she had with Jack, was over. That she should move on with her life. Quote, Bobby gave her the message. This is an exact copy yeah. of what happened with Frank Sinatra. Literally. Got a little too close, and then got cut off. It all lines up. It's all right in character. And when Jack needed other people or even other countries to take him seriously, he sent his brother. brother. Literally, it's copy-paste. Every time. They had a system. Jack makes a mess. 
deploy Bobby. <laughs> All I know is that she seemed fixated on the president. Rupert Allen remembered. It started to become unclear as to what was going on between them, even though I thought it wasn't much. She was acting like she wanted more, though. And yet another Secret Service agent said, quote, She was calling, or trying to call him, a lot. She wanted to see him. She made that clear. Everyone knew it. Christopher Anderson reports that Marilyn flat out asked a friend, Can't you just see me as First Lady? No, she did not. I mean... It was April 1962 when Jackie's phone rang in her bedroom at Hyannisport. It was the only private line in the house, the only number that the Secret Service didn't screen through their main switchboard before passing the calls through. Jackie answered the phone, and immediately she recognized the childlike, breathy voice on the other end. According to Tara Borelli, Marilyn asked point blank. Is Jack home? No, she did not. (laughs) And she knows it's Jackie. She literally calls their private number and it's Jackie's voice. Hello. (laughs) Marilyn's like, (laughs) says your husband home? home. Jackie told her. No, he wasn't, and then asked who was calling. Marilyn Monroe. She even just straight up (laughs) says the answer rang back. Is this Jackie? When Jackie said, yes, it was, Marilyn allegedly asked if she'd tell the president that she called. (laughs) So Jackie, not at all like Pat, literally asks Marilyn Monroe what the call to her husband was regarding. She's like literally talking to her. Marilyn reportedly said that it was nothing in particular. She just wanted to say hello. Which is exactly what Bobby's secretary reported as well. Almost word for word. That Marilyn just always called just to check in and say hi. And he talked to her. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Half in shock, Jackie said she would pass on Marilyn's message and she hung up. And then just (laughs) hits up the phone. She's like, "Ah, what the heck? That's so sad because it's like his affairs and the life that she wants to ignore is just forcing its way into her mind. You know what I mean? Into her bedroom. She can't even lock herself away and pretend. Which is what she's been trying to do this whole time. And now it's just like, your nightmares are following you. Maybe this phone call happened before Jackie told Jack, like, 
<gasps> have pity on her because that phone call, Jackie might have been like, wow. Okay. She, I'm drawing the line. It's not good. Like, yeah. we are not on the same page here. And it's it's over. It's done. Yeah. Messages need to be more clear. Yeah. Mar- well, and Marilyn might have sounded confused, unwell, delusional. <clears throat> and quote. Jackie was like, mm. Jackie later told Janet, her mom, that Monroe's voice had a, quote, sad and ethereal little girl lost quality, which she found disturbing. Yeah, Yeah. she could tell. Jackie wondered forever. First, if that was really Marilyn. And if it was, how did she get that number? She even wondered if maybe Jamie Auchincloss, her 14-year-old half-brother and known prankster. Hello, Kennedy. Hello, Auchincloss. Pulled this one over on her because only a handful of family members had that number. Pat. It's interesting hearing Jackie's side after we've heard from Pat years later. Like, we're hearing from Pat, like, decades after, you know, it like, it all fits together like a freaking puzzle. Mm -hmm. Jamie, 76, at the point of his interview with Tara Borelli, said that he never imitated Monroe. Oh, she thought, I thought Jackie was thinking he gave Marilyn Monroe, but that's why I was like, oh, that's so confusing. How in the world did he get Marilyn Monroe? She's thinking he's pranking me. And putting on the voice. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's it's a pretty dramatic voice that you can try to kind of like cartoonify. Uh Yeah. Tara Borelli explained, quote, There was something about that phone call. She later told family members that there was a haunting quality to Marilyn's voice that really stuck with her. And it's not like they even had any kind of deep conversation, but it was years of wondering. Was it really Marilyn Monroe? And that buzz stayed with the family. Like we said, while Jack and Marilyn and Mimi were out being Crosby's, Jackie was traveling abroad with Lee in India and Pakistan, along with their friend, Joan Braden, who we've heard quotes from. When they got back, they immediately started hearing rumors about the weekend that they were away. Lee heard it first and told Jackie there was a lot of chatter about Marilyn and the president's brother, Robert Kennedy. Lee is also the one that told Jackie that Marilyn was very sick and, quote, was addicted to certain medications and seeing a psychiatrist almost daily. Lee reportedly knew Marilyn socially. Then Jackie told Jack to call it all off or else. Wow. That's so interesting when you find out who initiates things like with. Or why. Because it's like, kind of sounds random. Like, okay, they went on a Potomac River cruise. And then Jackie's like, immediately stop. But it's just like the gossip around. And then Lee and Jackie as sisters are talking about it. There's always And then Jackie's like, okay, this needs to, yeah. Yeah. Then. The telephone call happened, wrote Tara Borelli. So yeah, the telephone You're call right. did happen afterwards. Mm-hmm. Bef- or 
You are correct. Before Jackie called it off. Uh-huh. Or told Jack to call it off. I think so. Lee and Jackie are on this India trip. They come yeah. home. Then all of this gossip is happening because yeah. that's when Jack was at being Crosby's house with Marilyn. So then Lee and Jackie are talking about the gossip. And then we know that the, the Potomac River 11.30 p.m. midnight cruise happened after being Crosby's weekend because mm-hmm. she showed up. That was like a few weeks later. Yeah. That was a, a response to their first initial interaction. So... Then she hears that they go and do that after she's already heard the rumors. And then maybe after that, Marilyn gets the private phone number and calls. And Jackie's like, This isn't good. (laughs) This cannot continue. Also knowing how much Jackie just hates all of the Hollywood drama, Peter and Pat's issues with Frank Sinatra and how they brought Bobby and Jack into it. Mm Mm-hmm. I bet she was looking out for Jack just as much as she was looking out for Marilyn. She's like, Marilyn doesn't need to be involved in this because she's unwell. Yeah. But Jack also, this is messy and you're getting yourself involved in something you shouldn't get, like, shouldn't be in. Yeah. Because of your I position. also wonder, I don't know, if just like the blatant act of calling her and, and being so open with her of like, hey, can I talk to your husband? Okay, can you tell him I called? Jackie's like, pissed you know what I mean crossing so many boundaries and Jackie was like a boundary yeah literally was it last episode or was it no it was episode 17 where Jackie has the quote where she says I put up so many boundaries I wanted to keep my family yeah I needed to protect my Mm -hmm. family and as first lady I decided what was her first fight yeah was the boundary between personal life and public life Mm -hmm. and Marilyn crossed the line you're right it was, the, Mimi didn't. it was the crossing of the Rubicon. <laughs> and Mimi didn't and Mimi and, got to stay. Yeah. It was like their, their silent agreement. Uh-huh. It was almost as if he put her on a pedestal in which his other women, including me, were never permitted. It's just everything from everyone, all these storylines, all these witnesses, everybody and everything, it all lines up perfectly. Perfectly. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, the more voices there are, the more convoluted and messy and rumory everything gets. But then also at a certain point, the more voices there are, the more the truth is just obvious, you know? Just out there, yeah. Because if this many people are saying this thing. Well, and when you clear away the people who heard someone say something about something, you clear that away and you go actually to the people that lived it. Who were there at the Secret Service, the friends, the family. It's like, okay, so this is the actual story. Because everyone who actually lived it are on the same page. Right, exactly. There's like eight people saying this other thing, but then there's seven people who were there saying this thing. So, you know. But the other eight people are much more interesting. Like their take on it. Yeah, exactly. It's fascinating and wild. Uh And it's interesting that eight people are saying the same thing, Uh you know. Mm -hmm. Marilyn was a very obsessive and neurotic person. Friend, Diane Stevens said. She was mentally ill. Let's face it. She was on drugs and not thinking clearly and just went over the edge when it came to this man, and truly, I do not know why. It had just been a weekend, after all. But for some reason, it became, looking back on it now, 
the catalyst to her total ruination. The fact that he would not return her calls drove her mad. Jack probably meant the ultimate protection for her too. Especially suffering with the paranoia we know plagued her. The FBI agents stalking her, obsessed fans, even political radicals that had been associated with her ex-husband and communist Arthur Miller, she was paranoid. And she was truly in danger. The other noted men in her life, DiMaggio and Miller, had personal presence. Their power was in how they commanded a room. How people would react to them in a social situation. However, Kennedy was powerful on a global scale. He didn't command a room. He commanded the world. Tara Borelli. On April 10th, the same month as the Jackie call, Marilyn was scheduled to meet with her producer, Henry Weinstein. She was late, which was normal. But after calling and hearing her voice on the phone, Weinstein decided he should go over and check on her. Just the previous day, she had shown up for work bright and shiny and performed beautifully for hours on end. Now, she sounded alarmingly slurred and groggy. He called Dr. Greenson and told him to meet him over at Maryland's. She was almost naked and almost dead. Weinstein remembers of seeing Maryland that day. She was at least in a drug coma. I couldn't imagine what it was that had happened. Why she did this to herself. The fact that she had been so upbeat one day and then in this state the next, was very disconcerting. Somehow, Dr. Greenson revived her. I was so shaken. I could not get over it. He kept coming over to me and saying, don't worry, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. It was as if he had seen this so many times. He was not alarmed by it. But for me, it was traumatic. Marilyn had taken a potentially fatal combination of Nembutal, Demerol, Chloral Hydrate, and Librium. I don't think I ever got over the shock of finding her that way. You don't get past something like that easily. I spent hours trying to understand what had gone so wrong. I thought, well, George Cooker hadn't shown up to direct the costume test the day before, and maybe she was unhappy about that. Maybe she thought it was a slap in the face or a rejection, but I don't know. It had to be something more. An anonymous source who was close to Marilyn at the time said this. JFK. That's what was wrong. She had just been jilted by the President of the United States. Do you really think that after all that she'd been through with movie making, she was going to try to kill herself because a director hadn't shown up for a day's work at the studio? It was Kennedy. That's why. Kennedy. Bill Asher, the director of Something's Got to Give, also remembered Marilyn falling apart around this time. He was in the middle of a volleyball game at Peter's once when, quote, Marilyn came out of the house, and it was so sad. She was wearing slacks, and she had a slit in the back of her pants. She had lost all her sense of respect for herself. By then, she was unkempt and dirty, and wobbly on her legs. And this 
is where many, many rumors begin to fly. Begin? Okay, touche. But this is where people really, really, really just get things absolutely wrong. Really, really wrong. Tara Borelli explains that, quote, When Bobby told Marilyn that Jack was done with her, he couldn't help himself. And he, too, ended up falling for her. The two then had a passionate affair, and Marilyn felt more strongly about him than she had about his brother. This scenario has been repeated in countless books over the years by many respected historians. Could this really have happened? Were these people just that capricious and, dare it be said, foolish? Well, actually, in many ways, they were. But that said, it simply doesn't appear to be true. Quote, I think he told her, look, don't call the White House. Call me. Andy Williams, the entertainer and one of RFK's best friends. He just couldn't help himself. But it wasn't a romantic or sexual couldn't help himself. No, that was his brother. (laughs) This was a Bobby Kennedy couldn't help himself. Quote, Bob was that way. He was a compassionate person. He wasn't a jerk. He had no reason to be mean to that poor woman. I mean, why would he do that? What was the harm in giving her a friendly shoulder to lean on when she was in so much trouble? Maybe Marilyn, someone who at this point in her life was desperate for connection, got the wrong message from Bobby's indiscriminate kindness. She did, in fact, tell many of her friends around this time that she and Bobby were romantically involved. Her view of reality, we know, was severely contorted, and her friends, though they believed little that Marilyn ever told them, believed this and repeated it. In 1958, she had fabricated a story that, quote, When I lived with the minister and his wife, they told me that if I went to a movie on a Sunday, God would strike me dead. The first time I dared to sneak away and go to a Sunday movie, I was scared stiff to come out. When I did, it was raining. There was thunder and lightning, and I ran all the way home, expecting to be dead any minute. The trouble was that Marilyn never lived with a minister. She must have been talking about the Bolanders, whom she lived with for seven years. But everyone who knew Ida Bolander said that that was an issue as well. The story could not have been true, because... Ida never let Marilyn out of her sight at that age for long enough to sneak away to the movies, especially on a Sunday. (laughs) There are many, many occasions that Marilyn stretched the truth. Obviously to the press, but with her close friends as well. Pat Newcomb said this. Marilyn told several people a lot of things but she never told anybody everything. Hmm, sounds familiar. You see, JFK's like Elvis. We all think we know him, and we always want to hear more. (laughs) That ain't the truth. 
Andy Williams, remembering his friend often, sometimes thought, Yes, Bobby did end up with Marilyn Monroe. But then I think, wait, based on what? I know he never told me. Ethel never told me, and she's one of my best friends. Not that Bobby was a saint. He was like the Kennedys when it came to women. I know that Ethel was aware of it, and in some ways, maybe didn't have a problem with it. She would call me and say, Bobby is coming to town. Will you have him to dinner and find the best-looking girl for him as a dinner partner? But where Bobby and Marilyn are concerned, the only people I ever heard that from was from those who, I guess, heard it from Marilyn. And now, all of these years later, I have to say, I don't know. I never met the woman, and I wouldn't want to be critical of her. But I think she was telling tales. Among those who do believe it occurred was Hoover. We know how Hoover felt about Jack and Bobby, and we know he was already harassing them and blackmailing them, basically. Hence the Sinatra episodes. And knowing that one of the reasons this story has gained so much steam is because there were several FBI agents reporting it, it is a legitimate possibility that this was one of Hoover's smear campaigns. Actually, some of the FBI's files on Kennedy and Monroe sound as if they were written by a lovesick schoolgirl, especially in that the key players are described by their first names. One missive, released in October 2006 under the Freedom of Information Act, notes that, quote, Robert Kennedy was deeply involved emotionally with Marilyn Monroe, end quote. The relationship is described as a, quote, romance and sex affair. The paperwork reports that Bobby, quote, has repeatedly promised to divorce his wife to marry Marilyn. Eventually, Marilyn realized that Bobby had no intention of marrying her, end quote. According to whom, though? The former special agent who wrote the report, whose name is deleted, admits that he doesn't know the source for the information. Nor can he vouch for its authenticity. However, that didn't stop his report from being duly documented in the FBI's files on October 19th, 1964. The last piece of evidence to explain away from the Bobby Marilyn theory is a letter. A letter from one Jean Kennedy Smith. Wait, what? Quote. Dear Marilyn, Mother asked me to write and thank you for your sweet note to Daddy. He really enjoyed it and thought you were very cute to send it. Understand that you and Bobby are the new item. We all think you should come with him when he comes back east. Again, thanks for the note. Love, Jean Smith. Ethel had two soulmates. Bobby and Jean. (laughs) Seems like a smoking gun. Uh, yeah. But let's think about the context and consider who wrote it. We've gotten to know this family quite well over the last year, and I think it will be fairly easy to hold it up to the light and understand 
from where, from whom, it came. Tara Borelli pointed out that when the Kennedy men had real affairs, the Kennedy women did everything but confirm them. What they did was pretend they didn't exist. The Kennedys were also very much aware of how historically important they, in fact, were. They knew that a letter from a Kennedy to Marilyn Monroe would be preserved, especially if it confirmed a real affair. Quote, It is strange that Gene Smith would have written the note at all, knowing that it could one day be misinterpreted if read by someone other than Marilyn. She would have done it only if she truly thought the story was so absurd that no one would take it seriously, even with the passing of time. Of course, another possibility is that the letter is a forgery. It looks exactly like her handwriting, though, and because of the tone, I tend to think it's a legitimate Jean Kennedy Smith letter. Just a grown-up, preppy, posh punk. Did we call it or did we call it? Did we call it? (laughs) It unfortunately is not dated. So what do you think? I think Jean knew exactly where the rumors were coming from, and it was her way of defending her best friend and her brother. (gasps) By saying, Marilyn, sit down. Oh my gosh. That, I didn't think of it that way. That really does blow my mind. And that sounds a heck of a lot more. Like the family who broke Jackie's ankle on the first visit. (laughs) And ripped Pat Skakel and Bobby apart. Then it does a family who's like, oh, Marilyn, you're with Bobby now? Come visit us. Uh." No, they're like, Get out. (laughs) Get out. Just especially since it's Jean. Jean and Bobby were two of the closest. Uh And Jean and Ethel were best freaking Yeah, you're right. She falls exactly in line with how uh Ethel and Bobby got together in the first place. She would be the one that would be emotional about it. Yeah. George Smathers remembers how Bobby really felt about Marilyn. Quote, He didn't mind talking to her. There was no harm in it. She was sad and lonely and she would call. So yeah, he would talk to her and calm her down. There was no affair with Bobby though. I can tell you that Ethel had her doubts at first, only because the rumors started right away. But Bobby told Ethel they were not true and she believed him. That's exactly what Pat said too. Mm -hmm. Also, look who he married. Yeah. Marilyn had it in her head that she wanted to be first lady, JFK's wife, not Bobby's. She wasn't interested in Bobby that way. Anyone who says otherwise doesn't know what he's talking about. Ed Guthman was with Bobby when he was with Marilyn on at least two occasions. So do you remember that dinner party at Peter and Pat's house that Marilyn and Bobby and Ethel were all at? The well, date, in Marilyn's yeah, opinion. the date where they danced. <laughs> well, Ed Guthman is the one that everyone says took Marilyn home with Bobby. So all three of them were in the car. And Ed Guthman reportedly confirms this. 
But the valet says that's not true because he put her in a taxi himself mm -hmm. and remembers it because of the whole photograph. Yeah, that was the night that the a different valet broke a cardinal rule and asked Marilyn for a photo. And then the Secret Service agent popped out and was like, whoa. Took and the then camera. Marilyn's like, who are you? And it was a big ordeal. And it was obviously a super fiasco. memorable. And so Ed Guthman is the one that was there that night and says, yeah, maybe we did take her home. He was one of Bobby's aides. He also said, I know there was no affair. It's not even a question in my mind. I was there. I saw what was going on. And I'm telling you, there was no affair. So even he doesn't remember, did we take her home? Did we not? I don't know. But what I can tell you is, ain't nothing happening. <laughs> Kenny O'Donnell chimed in. We know him. Dave Powers was the jester and Kenny O'Donnell was the one that was as loyal to JFK as Dave Powers, but was the total opposite personality, super serious. Quote, I knew this man as well as anybody. I was intimately associated with him for years and knew everything he did. And I know for a fact that this Marilyn Monroe story is absolute bullshit. And he's referencing Bobby. Okay. <laughs> he's like, Jack, on the other hand. <laughs> Wait. Pat Newcomb, potentially the most reliable source because she was Marilyn's publicist, so she would know. It was her job to know. And she knew both parties. Are they crazy? I knew Bobby very well. Better than Marilyn did in a lot of ways. However, you didn't even have to know him well to know that he would have never left Ethel. With all those children? Come on. Milton Evans, Peter's manager that we've heard from very often. He was in the Frank Sinatra episodes all over the place. And he's also the one who was trying to get Marilyn's dress over her bare butt. And his face oh, was oh, in her crotch. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he said, quote, I'm certain it never happened. Joseph Nair, another of Peter's close friends that we've had several quotes from. When I hear Bobby Kennedy was her lover, I say, Bullshit. Absolute and complete bullshit. And lastly, a relative that requested to remain anonymous. Quote, Because this is still such a sore subject with the family. Did allow the information that she was married to one of the Kennedys. Said this. Okay, wait. So our options are Jackie, Ethel, <clears throat> or Joan. Yeah. <laughs> She said that she called Pat in the spring of 1962 to ask if she had heard the rumors about Bobby and Marilyn and that Pat responded, quote, Okay, this has got to stop right here. Either Marilyn is making up stories about Bobby in order to get Jack to change his mind about her or she's doing it to show Jack what he's missing. Or maybe both. Either way, it's adolescent behavior and I will talk to her about it. I asked Bobby very specifically if anything was going on between Marilyn and Jack, and he said he did not feel comfortable answering that question. I then asked him if anything was going on between him and Marilyn. He said absolutely not, and I believe him. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Pat also admitted to Marilyn herself that she believed in May of 1962 that her brothers may be trying to discredit her, to make her look foolish in front of the nation. Oh no, happy birthday. 
This was likely not easy for Pat to admit. She told Marilyn not to do the performance. That she felt her brothers were being unfair asking this of her. But Marilyn was already in too deep. So that confuses me too. Uh-huh. Because that is for sure Jack. But Bobby going along with that, making fun of the underdog, why? I think he was just trying to manage too much. And Peter and Jack were gung-ho about this. And he was like, I am trying to freaking make sure that the civil rights activists don't get killed in these streets and that the country doesn't get bombed by yeah. Khrushchev. So like if Marilyn wants to come freaking do this stupid performance, I've talked to her. I've given my efforts. I can't control everything. You know? Mm-hmm. So he's just like, I'll just go along and I'll do what I need to do for my duties. I'm not going to freaking try to fight this. Yeah, pick your you battles. Know? Yeah. Marilyn told her studio that she would have to put a pause on filming. She flew to New York and put on her best, most dazzling show she could on stage at Madison Square Garden for JFK's 45th birthday. By the time she was asked to New York to perform Happy Birthday, Marilyn had well pushed her luck with the studio. She was constantly missing days or showing up very late, about halfway through, (laughs) and having to refilm one line 40 plus times, bringing in her own ideas and just costing them a lot of money. So when she asked for time off to go to New York, it was a resounding You're kidding, right? No way for any reason. Not even the president's birthday. In fact, they threatened to sue her if she did. And they did. And Bobby (laughs) called each of the higher-ups to explain, quote, The president wants it and I want it. He said some terrible things to the studio heads as well. Surely someone at the bus company knows how to drive a damn bus. Yeah, this this phone call was worse than that. <gasps> worse than that one. Yeah, it was not you. Okay. How many angry Bobby phone calls are we going to have? Yeah, it's literally like a problem. <laughs> MLK, an angry phone call. <laughs> the bus, this. Still, the studio did not budge. They weren't having any of the Kennedy special requests. Not the charming ones, nor the verbally abusive ones. Oh, no. (laughs) Turns out, Marilyn didn't care. She was being called on by the president, and she would be there. Quote, I told the studio six weeks ago that I was going. I consider it an honor to appear before the president of the United States. Actually, She had had permission. But then, due to the lack of progress on the movie, it was revoked. Quote, She was worried about her. A Kennedy family member recalled of Pat at this time. She knew her brothers. She loved them. But she knew them well. She didn't think Marilyn could handle them. However, Marilyn thought that if she went to New York... It would show the family that she was being supportive. She was putting her career on the line to do it. I mean, she was risking everything. 
There wasn't much Pat could say to that, I guess. It was a tough situation for everyone. And I'm sure it did show support in the Kennedy's eyes. But what did Marilyn get in return? One of the most iconic moments in American history. (laughs) (laughs) Quote. This was shameful. It really was. Remembered Jean Martin. There was no excuse for it. When Marilyn got to New York, she was a nervous wreck. She was about to go out and honor someone who had just rejected her in front of the entire world. And she had risked her livelihood to do it. Marilyn always lived beyond her means, by the way. She wasn't a Kennedy. She needed to work. Of course, Marilyn slipped into her custom, apparently nude, dazzling dress and seduced the country. She handled the lyrics well enough, but you couldn't hear them anyway. Remembered Richard Adler? (laughs) For the crowd was yelling and screaming for her. It was like a mass seduction. Here's Tara Borelli. Quote, Making her performance that night as provocative as possible was an odd choice for Marilyn, especially if one considers her career up until that point. How many years had she been complaining about her dumb blonde image? How many fights had she waged against 20th Century Fox for roles that would break her from the mold? How many years had she spent studying acting so that she could be revealed as a different kind of performer? Why? one has to wonder, did she decide to throw away any chance she would ever have of being thought of in a different way and appear on this very important high-profile night as the very character she had worked so hard to bury? Most people on her team that had been with her during rehearsals were bothered by the fact that it just kept getting sexier and sexier. Her role in the movie she was filming, Something's Got to Give, was not at all the dumb, sexy, blonde bimbo. And everyone knew, at this point in her life, Norma Jean wanted nothing more than to kill Marilyn Monroe. What was she doing? If she doesn't stop, it will be a parody. Paula Strasberg remembered. In the footage of the performance, it appears as if Marilyn is up on stage, miles and miles away from the crowd. At the garden that day, in reality, just behind the camera's view, sat JFK. About 12 feet away from Marilyn. Jean Martin thought, To be really honest, as much as I loved Marilyn... I thought it was the height of distastefulness. Nothing against Marilyn. She was just being Marilyn, doing what Marilyn does. She couldn't be blamed for being herself. I remember squirming in my seat and turning away, but you also couldn't help but watch. It was such a spectacle. The footage we've all seen doesn't do it justice. In person, it was pretty shocking, especially for the times. For Bobby to organize this thing and for the president to sit there and allow it? Well, I must say, 
I thought at the time that it was very disrespectful to the presidency, and also to the first lady. I remember thinking, my God, what if Jackie sees this? What will she think? Susan Strasberg, Maryland's acting coach's daughter, remembered. I hurt for her. From what she told me, each time she caricatured herself, she chipped a piece out of her own dream. Susan's mother refused to attend the performance. And who is she? The mother? Yeah. Is Marilyn's acting coach. Acting coach. So then the acting coach's daughter was like, she told me every time she yeah. played the bimbo, it hurt herself. Marilyn reportedly spent, quote, maybe five minutes with Jack and Bobby at the after party. And that was it. I could actually just ball my eyes out. That's mm-hmm. so, I just could cry. The sensationalized story that Marilyn hopped into bed with Jack afterward and then proceeded on the same night next door to Bobby's room is simply untrue. The detailed events will be discussed in our KFM. On June 26, 1962, Bobby was heading to LA for work and Pat and Peter took the opportunity to throw him a party. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) It was a return favor for a party that Ethel and Bobby had thrown them a couple weeks earlier at Hickory Hill. But we'll get to that in just a second. Before Bobby landed in LA, Pat was on the phone with Marilyn and mentioned that he was coming and invited her to the party. Quote, I want Bobby to see my new house. Marilyn told her. Really? Pat asked. But why? Marilyn didn't really have an answer, but insisted that she wanted him to see it. Pat kind of paused and explained that it would be complicated. Driving around LA sucks, and there's really no reason to take Bobby all the way to Brentwood and then all the way back to their house in Santa Monica. He's just flying in, and we're bringing him straight back to the house. Well, There would be a reason if you had to come pick me up, Marilyn told her. Did Marilyn need to be picked up? No. Did they ever pick her up? No. Is that the most complicated way to get her there? Yes. But Marilyn just wouldn't let it go. So, as often happened with Marilyn, Pat gave in. Oh, and here's Jack's private number too. (laughs) Telephone records indicate that on Monday, June 25th, Marilyn called Washington to confirm that Bobby would be heading to the Lawfords that Wednesday and invited him to have a drink at her home. She talked to Bobby's secretary, Angie Novello, for one minute. And that's how the very unlikely situation unfolded that saw Peter Lawford driving his wife Pat and Bobby Kennedy to Marilyn Monroe's home on the 28th. After they arrived, Marilyn showed Bobby around. Pat and Peter had been there before. And then they had drinks. And after just about half an hour, they piled into the Lawford's car and headed to the beach. Uh, 30 minutes? So Marilyn's house was tiny, right? Just a few rooms. Short tour. <laughs> I wonder what Bobby's thinking this whole time. 
Yeah, because he lives in a sprawling mansion with 10 children. And he's like, cute, cute closet. (laughs) Nice, Marilyn. What an event. (laughs) Earlier that month, in mid-June 1962, Bobby and Ethel hosted their party for Pat and Peter at Hickory Hill. And Ethel, knowing how close she was to Pat, invited Marilyn. That is so late in Marilyn's life. If Ethel thought that there was any substance to the Marilyn and Bobby rumors, there's no way that she would be inviting Marilyn to their home. Yeah, and we because it's so late in her life, it has to be after the rumors, all the after rumors. all that yeah. stuff. And just remember who Ethel is. Operation Bethel. <laughs> Here's the telegram that Marilyn sent back. Dear Attorney General and Mrs. Robert Kennedy, I would have been delighted to have accepted your invitation, honoring Pat and Peter Lawford. Unfortunately, I am involved in a freedom ride, protesting the loss of minority rights belonging to the few remaining earthbound stars. After all, all we demanded was our right to twinkle. Marilyn Monroe. So Marilyn's willing to risk her entire career to sing happy birthday to Jack. But then Bobby's inviting her to his home to hang out for hours. And she says no for a volunteer event. mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Especially if she really is having an intimate affair with Bobby Kennedy and he's promising to marry her. Right. It just doesn't line up. What makes more sense is that they're not already having an affair and maybe she does like Bobby and she's trying to appeal to him by being involved in civil rights. But even then, I feel like showing up and hanging out with him would be more effective in her mind. Maybe. I feel like she's just... She wants to be the first lady. She doesn't want to be with Bobby. She's like, is Jack there? Exactly. (laughs) Is Is Jack going to be there? I have a volunteer event. (laughs) Quote. It was as if we were all caught in Marilyn's nightmare. A Kennedy relative remembered. Everything sort of satellited around Marilyn's sickness, and no one knew what was true and what wasn't who was lying, and who wasn't. Marilyn's delusions even got to Pat. She called Bobby's press aide, Frank Mankiewicz. He remembered years later, quote, I told her, Pat, you should know better than to believe this nonsense. She said, honest to God, Frank, I don't know what to believe anymore. Between what I hear Marilyn is saying and what everyone else is saying, I said, Well, hear what I'm saying, Pat. It's not true. If it was, I would know. And I don't. So it's not true. She was so grateful. She said, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Then, Pat got a call from her, Frank. It's been too long, old blue eyes. He thought so, too. And he had for her one of his famous combinations of an apology And an invitation. (laughs) We'd expect nothing less from good old Frank. Charlie, I'm sorry. The Calneva was Frank's resort and casino. It sat directly on the California-Nevada border. His friends, the Rat Pack, Lucille Ball, Judy Garland, were often performing, and he wanted Pat and Peter to come for a stay. This 
is Maryland's infamous Lost Weekend. Pat didn't want to go. Peter told her, quote, We cannot turn down an invitation by Frank Sinatra. If Frank wants us there, we have to go. (laughs) So they went. And Marilyn said she could use a weekend away as well. Can I just say, I had no idea how close Marilyn, Pat, and Mm -hmm. Peter were. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, they were way closer than JFK and Marilyn, obviously. And it's and that's the story. I know that's the story. The story is that because nobody cares and about Marilyn had the Pat relationship. Kennedy, and that's why blood and business. You know what I mean? And that's why justice for all. They all hopped in Sinatra's private plane and headed out on July twenty seventh, nineteen sixty two, for a weekend away. She had no makeup on. Remembered Dan Arney the co-pilot for that day. And I didn't realize who she was until we got into the airport and George, Sinatra's valet, came out into the station wagon and said, you know, that's Marilyn. Because clearly you have no idea. (laughs) I'm just assuming right now from the looks of things, you had no idea. (laughs) Once they landed at the Calneva, Sam Giancana was standing in the lobby. <laughs> oh, the red string. That's it. We have to go. Pat exclaimed, horrified that she had spoken so loudly, enough for Giancana to potentially have heard her. Peter shuffled over right up to the mob boss, shook his hand, and started talking. Oh my. Smoothing things over. And knowing who Frank Sinatra is, he very well knew that he was inviting Marilyn, the Kennedys, and Gene Connor to his hotel on the same oh, no. weekend. And Pat is Haven't like, you learned anything, Frank? You're not doing this to me again. Pat was pissed. <laughs> she marched right over to Marilyn and told her the same thing. We're leaving. I also predict that Pat did not get her way because with Marilyn, she never does. I don't feel well. Marilyn told her. I can't fly again. I believe it, but also, come on. We can't leave now. Pat put her arm around Marilyn and whispered something into her ear. We're not sure what, but probably something like, Marilyn, see that guy over there? He's Chicago's biggest mob boss and has killed hundreds of people. And see all those other people with eyeballs and mouths? Do you remember who my brother is? Whatever she said. Marilyn wasn't having it. I don't care, she told Pat, raising her voice. I don't care about any of it. I just need to go and lie down right now. Take me to my room, Pat, right now. They got settled into their rooms, Pat and Peter in one, Marilyn in the suite reserved for special guests, the Chalet 52. Frank asked Pat and Peter if he could have some time alone with Marilyn. Sinatra had heard that she was having a personal crisis. Quote, He knew what was going on, I think, with the Kennedy business. Or at least, he heard rumors. He knew she was upset. He wanted to know more. George Jacobs. Joe Langford, a Sinatra security employee at Calneva, remembers that, quote, When Frank saw her, he was pretty shocked by how depressed she was. As soon as he got her settled in, 
he got on the phone with her psychiatrist and started in on the guy. What the hell kind of treatment are you giving her? She's a mess. What is she paying for? Why isn't she in a sanitarium? He hadn't seen her in a while, and he couldn't believe how broken down she was. Roberta Lynn, who was there performing that weekend, said, I remember that her hair was in disarray the entire time, sometimes hidden under a scarf. She was very sad, and she seemed out of it. She was at Sinatra's show every night. He was performing in the main room, and she would just sit in the back looking very unhappy. I thought it was such a shame, this girl who had everything in the world, yet nothing, really. It was very hard to see her in this condition. Sad. Also, I love Frank. You gotta love Frank. Why isn't she in a sanitarium? What the hell kind of treatment are you giving her? And that's his own psychiatrist, too. Oh my gosh, I forgot (laughs) about that. Employees of the Calneva report that Marilyn Monroe called the hotel operator that night and asked if they would leave her phone line open to the casino switchboard while she slept so that she could hear them talking and answering other calls and wouldn't be alone. Oh my gosh. It was this open line that saved her life that Saturday night. According to James Spada, the operator heard labored breathing coming from her phone line and called Pat and Peter's room. Dude, this is a lot of people like intervening on her behalf. Oh yeah, over and over. That did not need to or or like we're not obligated to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Pat opened the door, Marilyn was laying on the floor, having fallen out of bed and was barely conscious. Quote, they revived her with coffee and long walks around the room. Some of those present remember her having alcohol poisoning, but there was much more to it that weekend. As Pat and Frank sat with Marilyn talking, she casually reached into her purse and pulled out a syringe. Joe Langford was watching on security duty when, quote, On the day she opened her purse and pulled out those syringes, I was standing right there with Mr. Sinatra and Pat Kennedy Lawford. Marilyn was very casual about it. She was looking for something else and just pulled them out and put them right on the table. Sinatra went white like a sheet. He said, Marilyn, what are they for? She said, Oh, those are for my vitamin shots. She was very nonchalant about it. Pat looked like she was going to faint. Oh my God, Marilyn, she said. Oh my God. Then Marilyn said, It's all right, Pat. I know what I'm doing. Marilyn was still going through her purse until finally she found what she was looking for. A pin. As we all stood there with our mouths open, she opened a bottle of pills and picked one out. Then, I had never seen anything like this before. She put a small hole at the end of the capsule and swallowed it. Gets into the bloodstream faster that way, she said. She turned back to Pat and said, See, I told you I knew what I was doing. None of these were vitamins. No. The shots were comprised of phenobarbital, nembutal, and secanol. 
Later that night, after Sinatra's show, Pat went to Marilyn's room to check on her. She remembered later that she had to knock for a while before Marilyn answered the door, barely able to stand. While Pat was visiting her, Marilyn got violently sick and Pat held her friend's hair back while she threw up in the toilet. Afterward, Pat helped her change into a different outfit because the white blouse she was wearing had been soiled. Marilyn asked Pat to take the blouse to another trash can to dispose of it because, quote, people will be going through the garbage in my room later. Frank Sinatra didn't know what to think about any of it, said his valet, George Jacobs. He was upset, though. He loved Marilyn, yes. But this was pushing it. For her to maybe die at Calneva while he was there, that would have been terrible. So, after he'd seen enough, he said, get her out of here and get her out of here now. And that was it. We had to do what he said. Get her out of there. You know, you felt bad about it, yeah. I mean, the woman was sick. But as compassionate as Sinatra was, he had a line and she had crossed it. He didn't want her dying at Calneva, and that's just the truth of it. A guest of the Calneva, Ken Rotkop, saw Marilyn leaving the resort. She was shaking. She had chills. She looked very, very sick. Another guest, Stacy Barron, was in the lobby and saw, quote, Peter Lawford on one side of her and Pat on the other side and they were practically carrying this woman out of there. I recognized the two of them, but I couldn't figure out who the woman was because she had her head down and was just sort of groggy. Then she raised her head, and I got a real shock. It was Marilyn Monroe. I was stunned. And as I was standing there with my mouth open, I heard Pat say to Peter, This is all your fault, Peter. This is all your fault. And Peter said, Not now, Pat. I just watched them leave thinking, my God, Marilyn Monroe looks like death. After Calneva, Marilyn spent most of the next few days alone at her home, other than the presence of her housekeeper, Eunice Murray. On August 3rd, 1962, the day before she died, Marilyn called a friend, the poet Norman Roston. He thought her voice sounded frenetic and unnatural. On the day before she died, so the last weekend in Calneva was also her last weekend? Mm -hmm. She called Anne Carger, the mother of one of her exes from her younger years. Carger thought Marilyn sounded depressed on the phone when Marilyn told her she was going to marry Bobby Kennedy. According to James Spada, Carger pointed out the absurdity of that notion, and Marilyn quietly replied, If he loves me, he will. So do you think because Jack stopped answering her phone calls, she's like, okay, Bobby's still talking to me? So maybe I'll marry him. Yeah, I think that she wanted to die, and she was looking for a reason to stay. Pat tried calling Marilyn several times with no success and for obvious reasons became worried sick. 
So she came up with a plan. Remember, Pat was a mastermind. The whole time. She hadn't thrown away Marilyn's soiled white blouse at Calneva, but had brought it home to clean it up and give a very good excuse for a returning the blouse pop-in at Marilyn's after the trip. Mm. I know. After successfully salvaging the white fabric, she asked Peter to go drop it off and see how she was doing. Remarkably, Peter reported that she was in, quote, better than good spirits when he found her. Pat was relieved. That evening, she called again to hopefully, finally, talk to Marilyn herself. Oh, she's just so worried. I know. Marilyn answered, and Pat asked her what she had done that day. Funnily, Marilyn said she had just seen her doctor, and the only other person she had seen the entire day was Eunice Murray. Pat was confused at first, but she pressed Marilyn with, Are you sure? That's it? And Marilyn insisted, so Pat started to get irritated. She knew Peter had been there with Marilyn for almost an hour. He had reported her to be in a silly mood while they had cocktails outside by her pool. When she realized Marilyn wasn't going to volunteer the information about Peter's visit, Pat brought it up blatantly. At this point, Marilyn was either so out of it that she didn't remember Peter's visit at all, which was concerning, or Marilyn was lying. After being questioned on it, Marilyn apologized for not telling Pat about Peter's visit, which honestly pissed Pat off. If you remember it, Marilyn, why did you try to conceal it? Her answer just absolutely sent Pat Kennedy Lawford. Marilyn explained that she didn't want Peter's visit to make Pat jealous. Pat let her know how she felt about that, and Marilyn began to cry. She promised her over and over that nothing was going on between her and Peter. Quote, I didn't think for a moment that anything was, Pat told her. And I still don't. (laughs) And I still don't, because he's not attracted to you, Marilyn. She went on to explain that Peter viewed her not as a sexual being, but rather a wounded child. Quote, She told Marilyn that she thought it was sick that Marilyn viewed every man as wanting her and every woman as being jealous of her. Pat thought that she behaved this way because she had no important men in her life. No father, no brothers. Recalled an anonymous intimate of Pat's years later. Even in like, that situation, she's like understanding where it's coming from, you know, mm-hmm. or trying to at least. It's really cool to see the side of Pat because she was such a fighter in such a different way than Eunice and Kick was mm-hmm. and Rosemary, but she was such a Kennedy through and through, like yeah. very confident, very blatant, honest. Just takes the situation by the ball. Yes, like handles it herself. <laughs> yeah. We met in Laguna a month before she died, and she told us that she had really taken place with the Kennedys. 
She was terribly hurt when she was told directly never to call or contact again. That was an order. Jack didn't contact her. Bob did. And that's what killed her. I don't care what anyone else says. It was the beginning of the last day, if you will. On the day that Marilyn died, Dr. Greenson was at her house and Peter Lawford called. Marilyn asked, yet again, to talk to Bobby. Quote, Yes, I think she was fixated on Bobby that day. Peter remembered. I'm not sure why. One thing led to another. One obsession to another, you might say. Until, I think she had worked herself into a deep despondency over the Kennedys. The Kennedys may have been the subject of her great sadness, but the thing about Marilyn is this. While it may have been the Kennedys in that moment, in the one before it, it may have been something's got to give. And in the moment after, Joe DiMaggio. Or maybe all three at the same time. There was no way to account for her mood swings, for her deep depressions. You can't blame the Kennedys. They were just a facet of a much bigger problem. And now, here's the story on why Bobby was in California that day. Wait, for real? The, the for true real. story? For real. <laughs> Quote. Marilyn had heard that Bobby was in San Francisco that weekend. He was giving a speech before the California Bar Association. Marilyn immediately called Pat to get the details. Pat told her that he was staying with Ethel and four of the children at the St. Francis Hotel. Oh my gosh. However, neither Bobby, Ethel, nor the children were staying at the St. Francis. In reality, they were staying with John Bates, president of the Bar Association, about 60 miles south of San Francisco at his ranch. Oh, so did Pat have outdated info or was she trying to throw Marilyn off? At first I thought, oh, Pat just didn't realize. <laughs> like, no, she definitely knew. At approximately 7 p.m. on August 4th, Dr. Ralph Greenson left Marilyn's home, requesting that Eunice spend the night to keep an eye on his patient. Around the time of Greenson's departure, Peter called to invite Marilyn to a dinner party at his home. She declined, which wasn't unusual for Marilyn. She had been known to take to her room on nights like this one, when she was attempting to endure one of her many emotional plunges. Marilyn brought a telephone into her bedroom and closed the door. It appears that the rest of this evening, indeed, the rest of Marilyn's life, would be spent alone in this room, thus destroying any hope of detailing precisely what transpired that night within those four walls. Peter called Marilyn again that night, later, and this is when Peter's body went cold. The blood drained from his face. His insides began to tingle. Marilyn's voice wasn't the same. Say goodbye to Pat. Say goodbye to the president. 
Say goodbye to yourself because you're such a nice guy. If Peter was a person that lived a typical life, like you or I, he would have hung up the phone, hopped in his car, and raced directly to Marilyn's home that night. But Peter didn't have a normal life. He didn't simply drive to Marilyn's house alone at night, especially not now that his brother-in-law is the president. Not on a night like this. Not to a woman like Marilyn. He called Marilyn again after she hung up. The line was busy. So, the logical next best thing? Call his manager, Milton Evans, who told him that under no circumstances could he go over there. Not being who he was, and not with who his wife's family was. Besides, Marilyn was probably fine. Milton called Marilyn's attorney, Mickey Rudin, who rang Eunice Murray around 9 p.m., who reported back that Marilyn was fine. At around 2 a.m., Eunice telephoned Dr. Greenson. Marilyn Monroe was the solution that the orphan, Norma Jean Mortensen, came up with to protect herself, to bring people into her life so that she would no longer be alone. Unfortunately, Marilyn only attracted people for a little while, but they didn't stay. And that's all Norma ever wanted. She tried to marry. She tried to have children. She was always left with an empty, cold, dark room at night, in her bed, alone, the way it had always been since she was a child. You see, Norma Jean didn't have siblings. Marilyn spent her time with friends or her psychiatrist, being watched at home by her psychiatrist's spy, or being watched out in the world by the FBI, by you, and I. Maybe she thought that Jack, JFK rather, could be her savior. Maybe she thought of that great big white house full of people and bustling energy as somewhere she could live. Somewhere she would want to stay alive. They were at the helm during the most turbulent moment in American history. The rumors are legion. Some sincere, some slander. They gave everything to their country. But what did it look like behind closed doors, in their homes, the most intimate moments of their time on Earth? Sometimes the truth is more wild than the headlines. They seemed to live the easy life, but they lost it all in an instant. They ran faster, worked harder, burned brighter, and then they were gone. You have just listened to The Kennedy Siblings, episode 20 from Blood and Business.
Thank you all for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please give us a review on Apple, rate us on Spotify, and share Blood and Business with a friend or a sibling. If you'd like to support the show, the best way is to become a patron of Blood and Business. You will get bonus content every month, including a monthly bonus episode, interactive main episodes, and behind-the-scenes footage. To keep up with us day-to-day, you can follow us at Blood and Business on Instagram and TikTok. You can find the link for Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon in the show notes below. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you back here next week for your regularly scheduled programming on Blood and Business. The main sources for this episode were The Man Who Kept the Secrets by James Spada and The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe by J. Randy Terraborelli. To see a complete list of sources for all Blood and Business episodes, head on over to Patreon for a free PDF download. I'm so sad. I want to throw up. It's the worst. That is just the worst. Absolutely barf. I'm so sad. Mm -hmm. Everyone failed her. Yeah. And she freaking tried to hang on to like a billion people. She tried to hang on. She needed. I was going to say something. Oh, that's what I was Jesus. She needed siblings. Oh. (laughs) It's sad. This is what happens when you're an only child, Peter Lawford. Yeah. Just like imagining her in her bed every night, just like wishing desperately that there was somebody. As an orphan child, literally by herself in a cold, dark room. You painted that well. Okay. Just night after night after night after night. And then after a while, you're just like, what is left? And you're like, I don't... At a certain point, when you talk about this in the KFM, you don't care how freaking crazy you sound or look. You're desperate. Yeah. You're literally desperate. Yeah. She's like, this is the situation. I need somebody. Yeah. Frantic. Desperate. And she she did need somebody. Everyone needs somebody. She had no one. She had no one. She tried Frank, Joe DiMaggio, Arthur Miller. She tried to have kids. She tried to cling on to her... The family that she had lived with, she called them a bunch right before she died. She was trying, she had a like tumultuous back and forth relationship with her mother and with her stepsister. But isn't it crazy that the Kennedys get, like everyone thinks, oh, the Kennedys killed Marilyn. Right. Every, the, but uh, so many people. Everyone killed Marilyn. Her. Every yes. single person killed Marilyn. <gasps> they were her last hope. It was like the most enticing promise that like oh my gosh if that if i can land that then i would be fine you know what i mean yeah so when that fell through she really yeah the hope she when she no longer had hope of that yep is when she gave up yeah completely but also she had survived about 12 ods in the last year of her life so it was the kennedys this time like peter said yeah